This is the Roaring Elephant podcast. And as usual, I'm joined by my co-host Dave. And uh, I guess at the end of this episode, I'll know if I have to plug in some GPU or FPGAs to make him actually worth a dime. But hi, Dave. No, no, you'll have to clone me. You'll have to get multiples of me and give the each horror, of me GPU. <laughs> <laughs> we are indeed, if you haven't guessed, continuing our series on supercomputers and uh, HPC uh, with uh, both Walter and Valerio from Surf. And uh, it was, you know, hopefully you enjoyed part one of this. It was a great conversation, I think. And uh, looking forward to part two. Yeah, and this part is obviously way better because we're actually talking about quantum computing as well. So, <laughs> sorry, I had to plug that. I have to plug that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I did. I did cue that up for you to talk about. So, like, yes, uh, I only have myself to blame. <laughs> anyway, let's hear the people. We we've talked a little bit in terms of in terms of the workloads. I I think uh, Walter, you mentioned um, sort of weather simulations, like whole, like either you know country or even global simulations as being one thing and. I think we also touched on on genetics as being another, but what are the other sort of workloads that just need this kind of heavy, um, immense parallelization in order to actually you know achieve something? Yeah, I could take this one. Uh, you, the the largest user community, and uh, some people don't expect this uh, are the chemists and the material scientists. Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. they are doing is uh, simulations of uh, molecular structures or uh, chemical reactions. So you have large communities doing uh, quantum uh, dynamics or molecular, molecular dynamics. And that's uh, the largest one. And starting from the 80s, it uh, has been using some 30 to 50% of the total capacity that's available in the Netherlands. And the second one is, is uh, the engineering. So you can think mm -hmm. of uh, computational fluid dynamics, as it's uh, called, yep. where you, in general, can look at uh, fluid uh, or, or gas uh, movements uh, around uh, or in uh, structures. And then we have a very long tail of uh, every other science field that you can or even cannot imagine uh, that uh, will use uh, this capacity. And uh, in recent times, we also have uh, more and more uh, uh, users from the field of artificial intelligence, machine learning, mm -hmm. utilizing uh, uh, more specialized computing in the sense uh, GPU, graphics processing units. And uh, yeah, they, they are also in, uh, in need of, uh, of this kind of uh, very powerful uh, GPUs, machine, GPU machines, uh, also more special uh, GPUs than the one you see in uh, gaming machines. In the sense they have uh, access to way more memory and uh, way more uh, high bandwidth memory so the bandwidth you you, you see there are can go to uh, more than one terabyte per second between the gpu and its ram say uh, a gamer shouldn't be mad at supercomputing for getting all of the good uh, <laughs> graphic cards because it's a totally different kind of graphic card right yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh i uh Late late 90s, I spent uh, a decent amount of time doing uh, CFD work on Beowulf clusters. So, uh, <laughs> a 
a long time ago now. Um, when when the when sort of we're talking about uh, the HPC and and supercomputer space, you know the you've got you know I think everyone feels like this is a very specialized sort of niche, and you know how how if someone finds this this kind of topic interesting you know how would they how would they get into this or you know what sort of people would be uh, are in are in high demand in in the the supercomputing space i think uh, so as i said uh, there are uh, several categories of uh, of people working in the supercomputing space on the one side you have the the system administrators that uh, mm -hmm. of course have to also have a keen eye on uh, on security on uh, keeping the system in check uh, with respect to exploits vulnerabilities these kind of things and on the other hand, you have the application expert that should have a, a keen eye for uh, performance. So they should also have some, uh, uh, say, hardware knowledge or uh, understanding how to get performance and what performance means. But ideally, uh, they would also have a foot uh, in the in the domain, such that they could make mm -hmm. the transition for the user from its domain to the system. I would say. Yeah. And is there, you know, is there sort of training or educational courses that, you know, people should focus on if this is a, an avenue that sounds interesting? Yes, I think you just finished your, your PhD recently. Yeah, uh, recently, like 10 years ago, but, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but still, uh, I think, yeah, I think it, it helps. I, I'm more of a, indeed, of a computer science uh, type of uh, person. But uh, uh, that's not strictly uh, required. So we also have a lot of application uh, uh, support people that uh, come from a from a specific science field. Could be mm -hmm. astrophysics, could be molecular dynamics, could be uh, some science field. But that they were concerned during their studies with uh, performance analysis, and that's uh, that's mm -hmm. kind of the I think uh, the interplay here. So you and there are also. Uh, master uh, programs in the Netherlands, uh, educating people in that, uh, in, uh, for example, performance analysis, performance optimization as part of computer science uh, curricula. Got it. Got it. Um, so kind of moving on a, a little bit, what does, apart from like everything getting uh, more cores, getting faster, more nodes, what does the future of of the world of HPC look like? To me, uh, the future looks very uh, heterogeneous. The future of HPC. Mm -hmm. uh, so it used to be more homogeneous uh, in the past with uh, specialized uh, machines, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. the craze. But it's uh, turning more and more uh, heterogeneous because um, uh, we have hit uh, several worlds uh, with the homogeneity, uh, such as, for example, uh, Moore's, of course, Moore's law is hit by the whole semiconductor industry. But for yeah. some application domains, you can uh, you can move a bit to the left or to the right, and for example, you can get uh, more uh, uh, throughput in streaming processing with GPUs, for example. So people are going to GPUs. You can, mm -hmm. can get more uh, uh, configuration, but of course, at the expense of more programming effort by using, for example, in the future FPGAs. Or, uh, for example, uh, you see AI requiring a lot of tensor operations. So you see, mm. you might you might see tensor processing units in the future. 
or you might see uh, devices that uh, help uh, the networking, that perform operations over the network. So I, I think heterogeneity will uh, increase in the future supercomputers. Mm. FPGA is a, is a weird one. I mean, it's something that kind of has a wave function. It comes up and then it got replaced completely by GPUs and everyone's to GPUs again. Now GPUs aren't good enough anymore, so FPGAs come up again. And mm -hmm. I guess a lot of the network interconnects from Mellanox and stuff like that, those are actually FPGA kind of based architectures in the beginning anyway. I mean, are we going back again now from a, to a point where GPUs aren't good enough anymore and FPGAs get more of a, bun a push or... No, I think I agree with you. It's uh, it's, it's a lot of ups and downs uh, with FPGAs. They were a promise for HPC since very long time, and uh, <laughs> they are becoming again now. Uh, also, because the major uh, FPGA uh, companies were acquired by uh, big, uh, uh, yeah, big uh, uh, chip providers like uh, Intel and AMD. So Intel uh, acquired Altera, and uh, AMD acquired Xilinx. Yep. So, mm -hmm. so now they are way more closely connected to these uh, big uh, companies, and uh, mm -hmm. it might be that they be, will be pushed for. And then they, uh, these FPGAs tend to be themselves more heterogeneous. So you would see nowadays uh, high bandwidth memory on FPGAs. You would see okay. uh, uh, hard building blocks before. It was full configurable, configurable yeah, device. Yeah, yeah. Now you see, for example, uh, hard ALUs over there. You see vector units. You see uh, things that you normally okay. see in GPUs. So they try to kind of uh, find the best of both worlds in these uh, future FPGAs. Because the hardest thing with FPGAs is learning to work with them because you have to build it pretty much yourself using yeah, ones and zeros almost. Yeah. Um, so now there's more of a building block system, more Lego system where yeah. the components are a bit more intelligent and easier to connect to each other to make something that works, whatever exactly. you're trying to do. Exactly, that, uh, that's the, the shift that happened. And also they uh, have adopted higher level uh, programming languages. So you can program yep. FPGAs from uh, OpenCL or this kind of environments before you are doing very low VHDL, so close to one and zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, one of the other things that seems to be uh, maybe not quite as many, hasn't gone through quite as many waves or quite as many iterations is that of, of ARM-based um, server architecture. You know, I remember, mm -hmm. It's probably about you know ten years ago now that HP launched their their moonshot based uh, devices, which is you know you had a for you server and you know you'd slot these ARM CPU cartridges in and you'd get you know an amazing oh. number of of CPU cores and all sorts of things and turned out like it was a bit of a flop. It didn't actually oh. have the the performance and the grunt that uh, that most workloads really needed at the time and that sort of faded away you know, there's been a lot of very recent uh you know noise around apple silicon of course you can't move for people sort of saying how amazing that uh, that is and what uh, what sort of revolutionary performance um, especially performance per watt but even performance as a whole that's really delivering um, do you see that as as sort of uh, coming into the fray at some point in the in the not too distant future? Uh, in the present, I would even say. Uh, so I don't know yeah. whether you know what's the biggest and fastest supercomputer until today. That's the Fugaku system in Japan, and that mm. is completely CPU based, and it is an ARM CPU that they are using it's for A64 that. A64 FX, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's ARM, but yeah. uh, what's special yeah. about this ARM is that they did uh, the scalable factor extension, as they call it. Yeah. And that's uh, upcoming. And also, if uh, in the from your sound, I think you you might be from the UK. Uh, yes. And in the UK, you have the Isambard uh, system, which is also uh, ARM based. Interesting, interesting. I, yeah, I've actually I've got the top five hundred list in front of me right now. <laughs> hence, hence me kind of uh, noting that immediately. But that's I uh, see that that I haven't I'd missed that actual uh, that evolution. I, I can see this. I also see this a lot of um, still a lot of IBM power based systems in the top five hundred. They still like I I saw IBM IBM Power is another one. Um, I mean, it's gone through a variety of different iterations. It's another another technology I see coming in waves of of importance and and uh, and and then decline. Yeah, but IBM but, uh, IBM Power still is there, but uh, IBM yeah, Power yeah. is uh, very expensive if you look at yeah. the power. But they have an enormous uh, memory bandwidth, which is uh, yeah. perhaps uh, even uh, not beaten by another system. But uh, Vali probably knows uh, better than I do. But what you see is that they are building now uh, GPU-based systems and then using power as the the CPUs that have to support uh, those uh, GPUs. Mm. And in order to do that in a well-balanced way, you will see the combination of uh, IBM power and GPU, which is very powerful in the end. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that um, Jan will talk about forever, if you let him, is quantum computing. Um, he's 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 absolutely fascinated by the topic, and I I cannot get excited about it because it just seems so far away for me. But like, how does how do you think about quantum computing within the within the HPC world? Do you think do you think we'll realistically see it in our lifetimes, or is it is it all just a pipe dream? And, and Jan should concentrate on uh, on the real world. Yeah, a lot a lot of there's a lot happening in the in the quantum world. But I always try to yeah. make the joke: What do you expect earlier, uh, fully controlled uh, nuclear fusion? or a, a fully effective uh, general purpose quantum computer. Well, fusion is always 30 years away, so please do quantum first. Then. Uh, in, in, ten, in, ten, in, in 10 years, it will be there. So uh, so the, the, the early quantum IDs are probably from, from the 90s, also Shor's algor algorithm to factorize numbers. And I think end of the 90s, uh, they did a successful implementation and they even managed to do uh, an integer factorization and uh, they managed to factorize the number 15, which happened to have two factors, three and five, which is not uh, that exciting. But uh, <laughs> a lot a lot of effort is now uh, going to, to quantum computing. There are also hundreds of millions worth of uh, European programs uh, where development is done. And also the very large tech companies uh, are working on it. So. Yes, something is to be expected, whether it's the near future in, in, in the coming years, that might be questionable, at least questionable mm. in the sense that you can use it for doing very general computing, but specific computing, there will be examples of things you cannot beat with uh, the uh, classical uh, computers or the classical uh, supercomputers, but uh, things uh, that might that you might see in the future that you will see a combination of uh, 
quantum computer and a supercomputer where the quantum mm. part is being used as an accelerator of yeah, the, yeah. the supercomputer part. Yeah, it's much like the, a GPU is being used today to accelerate artificial intelligence calculation. A, a quantum card, whatever, will be something you put in a regular more or less computer to do very specific stuff. People sometimes expect that my, my, my watch will be running on a quantum chip someday. Probably never gonna, never say never, but that's not really where, where we're looking at right now, right? It's more of a more, more of the FPGA kind of approach. It's a specific tool yeah. that does for specific things very, very well, but it's totally crap at normal things like adding one-to-one. Yeah, but if you if you look at your mobile quantum computer, then I'm much interested. The, the quantum computer in itself is very small and doesn't use uh, much of much energy. But the yeah. problem is the the cryogenic uh, environment. <laughs> uh, you have to cool yeah. it, and uh, you can, and then you need uh, a truck uh, to move your watch. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so the real it. question is: uh, quantum computers. <laughs> Or flying cars, like which which do we think we'll get first? You'll need one. Bo 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 both are already there, <laughs> but not in a practical sense. <laughs> I love that Pro answer. Prototypes. <laughs> but, but the cryogenics are getting sold, right? We're doing things with uh, warm superconductors these days, so it is getting there slowly. So another thirty years, and it'll be there. No, but the warm, yeah. super, the warm supercomputer is still running at uh, a couple of tens of kelvins, or perhaps 100 kelvin, which is still, uh, for me, uh, almost cryogenic. Mm. Uh, but hang on, this is ideal, right? Because normal supercomputing, if I can use the word normal here, is creating too much heat. It's a problem to cool these things. <laughs> the quantum, <laughs> you see that? It's ideal. Yeah, but uh, it, uh, you, yeah, if it was possible to average this in a simple way, that would be good. But uh, you, you have really to, to redistribute the heat. Yeah. Uh, so. No longer hot yeah. and cold aisles. You have the computing aisle and the quantum aisle. Yeah, but then <laughs> if, 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 if you go back in history, you will find uh, systems that were also running in a fluid uh, freon, uh, for instance. But mm -hmm. uh, problem then is the the maintenance to do the maintenance you have to to warm it up to room temperature and you can do your maintenance you have to put it back and then cool it down and if you do two or three cycles all the circuit boards uh, will will die because of the the temperature <laughs> movement of the, yeah. the copper wire don't let practicalities get in the way of dreams come on <laughs> <laughs> I, the one of the things that I found interesting is um, I, Valerio. You mentioned that you you also focus around um, visualization as well. Like how's how does that play into the into the HPC world? So um, visualization uh, is also a means to of uh, understanding uh, uh, and presenting scientific results to uh, either. Uh, other researchers or to the general public so it's really a mm -hmm. way of uh, visualize of, of for example visualizing your data or visualizing uh, yeah, your simulation in the end and uh, it's uh, it plays well uh, especially with uh, this uh, i don't know uh, if you, you can think of uh, uh, computational fluid dynamics and you see mm -hmm. all this uh, wind tunnel and or uh, this kind of simulations and of course uh, you could uh, uh, just do the math but uh, it's uh, insightful to see in a visual way uh, what's going on. Yeah. 
No, it's and also an, in, an interesting option is also what uh, some groups are doing. You don't see it very often as people doing what's called in situ visualization. So mm -hmm. if you are running your experiments uh, also on GPUs, you can also use the very same GPUs to render some uh, images. And you can, during the, during, during the computations, you can look at what's going on in your models. And then you even have people who are thinking about uh, computational steering, but I didn't see it happen yet, where you can uh, turn the knobs in your simulation, uh, adapting the simulation itself, looking at what's happening in the visual uh, way. That's moving from the batch world to the interactive world, basically. Yeah. Because yeah. again, we did mention that, but a lot of the supercomputing is done as batch jobs, right? You submit your job, let it run for a couple of years, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> and then get the results back. And what you're talking about here is having a GUI that you can actually see, oh, it's skewing this way, let's turn some knobs to go the other way. Yeah. I mean, any kind of monitoring or interactive is going to slow down your computation because it's extra overhead, I guess. Is this, are, we, are we at a point now that we have fast enough supercomputers that we can take that? Well, it's only a percentage, so who cares? That's cool. It, it will always be overhead, of course, mm -hmm. but it will be far more work sometimes to to yeah. generate the data sets and then uh, again run through all the data to make it uh, in reality uh, low low resolution. Even it's, if it's eight K, it is a low resolution compared to the resolution of the the computations that are uh, going on. So it might be a small fraction to do it uh, on the fly during your computations. Yeah. And uh, like you do debugging, you can attach to running processes. You can also peek into what's uh, going on in these uh, systems. Uh, oh, is that why we don't develop it punch cards anymore? <laughs> <laughs> hey, punch cards make excellent bookmarks if you've still got a stack of them lying around, which I do. <laughs> yeah, then I then I want to show this. Of course, this uh, my one of my first programs. Wow! <laughs> Excellent! Excellent! I still have some of my own from my mainframe times. Yeah, but do you have machines to read them? <laughs> no, sadly not. Ah. Um, no, but right. the, you you could uh, run an interpreter on a punch card, and then it's printed on the top of the punch card. You can read what's going on there. And of course, you, the, the real nerd just looks at the, at the holes and then knows what's going <laughs> <laughs> Is that like the, the same real nerd that uh, rewrites the ones and zeros on the hard disks with a, with a magnet? <laughs> um, I mean, one of the things that's obviously um, very, very big news for you uh, at the moment is, is the launch of uh, your new uh, supercomputer uh, Snellius, which uh, I see is in both of your backgrounds, and I'm, I'm glad neither of you are actually in the data center. <laughs> Too much I'm noise. sure that would be both very noisy and probably very cool. Um, but uh, we see the it's not it's not noisy, or is it, or is it not cold? It's not cold. It's it's, it's noisy as hell, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's uh, warmer than uh, than uh, than than average. Uh. Ah. Um, but you know, this has obviously been a, a pretty uh, big evolution uh, for Surf. But you know, tell us a little bit about um, Stelius. Like, what was what was the uh, what was the journey that uh, brought you to this uh, this latest iteration of the 
the HPC environment? Yeah, um, that, 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 that's Fali, you want ahead. to take it? No, no, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't know who to take it. You were waiting, so I thought I'll take it. If you if, if you wait too long, I'll take. But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the reason is very simple if that you want to replace a system. Uh, supercomputers, like any other uh, electronic device uh, you own, uh, your your mm. laptop, your 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 PC, if you still have one around, uh, your your phone. Uh, they, they, they. You use them for uh, if your laptop, perhaps uh, three, four years, and then they uh, are becoming uh, outdated. And the same holds for uh, server hardware. It's it's going mm -hmm. as fast as your uh, laptop. So really, you have to replace your system after five years. That's what we always uh, target. Uh, reality is always harder. In reality, mm -hmm. it's always uh, six, seven years. And only this time we even took eight years. But then you can imagine that if you take eight-year-old hardware, uh, it uh, dies uh, sometimes uh, when you are using it. But also, if you look at uh, the performance, it's uh, lagging behind to modern hardware. If you look to energy efficiency, then mm. uh, you can uh, do the same amount of computations, uh, perhaps in 10 or 20% of the electrical uh, energy that's that's used now so uh, our typical national systems uh, you were talking about RECs. it's 45 uh, RECs. so uh, our pre previous two national supercomputers uh, were 45 uh, RECs. Uh, nowadays we have 25 RECs, but we will grow it next year and in 2023 uh, one more time and then we will end state have 45 RECs if we don't do any uh, extensions uh, in the meantime. Uh, and if you look at the GPU rack, for instance, uh, the GPU rack uh, that we now have, so if you would build everything with GPUs, then the GPU rack in itself, the green one which lighting up now and, and the screen you are showing, uh, it uh, has 1.6 times the performance of uh, the previous supercomputer, which was 45 racks. Uh, and also it's uh, running at less than 10% of the energy of the current supercomputer. So if this rack is uh, running limpack, you are reaching uh, some 70 uh, kilowatts and uh, Cartesius, uh, the predecessor of this full system uh, was uh, running uh, at uh, uh, almost 900 kilowatts. Mm. I mean, the sort of the cost of the this these things must be absolutely astronomical. Uh, the the cost depends on uh, how much uh, money you have available. <laughs> uh, we, do, we do it. We we, we we do it the other way around. Uh, so in yeah. reality, these systems uh, scale with uh, the available budget, and of course, that's not completely linear. You get uh, economy of scale. Uh, and growing bigger. So uh, our current system and its public information, when it's finished, uh, uh, there will be uh, 20 million uh, euros uh, used as an uh, investment budget. If you look at uh, the largest uh, systems in uh, Europe and in the world, then you are talking about uh, at least hundreds, a couple of hundreds uh, of millions of euros. If you look at uh, Fugaku, the 
at least until next Monday, fastest uh, system in the world, then it's estimated at 800 million uh, euro. But then you are also talking about a system which is way, way bigger than this one. And if you look, yeah. look up, if you look at the, the energy, so for mm. if we just round use round numbers, then Artesius was using one megawatt, and Snellius end state will reach somewhere near 1.5 megawatt. We always uh, say that uh, one watt one watt uh, will cost you one euro per year. So if we are talking about one megawatt, it's almost one million euro per year just uh, the paying the energy bill. So it's not only the investment, it's also the energy. And also this is yeah. one of the reasons coming back to the earlier remark, uh, if it's uh, sometimes more cost effective to replace the full system because if you can run it at a very at a much lower energy level, you can yeah you will you will uh, have a break even point in a couple of years. And I'm guessing that these, definitely for these government-sponsored supercomputers that uh, efficiency, sustainability are part of the procurement re requirements for vendors to be able to submit or at least as part of the scoring system. Yeah, yeah I remember that uh, multiple multiple uh, organizations that the challenge was the challenge was always was power into data centers and that the, they very often they didn't run out of space as such, um, but they were decommissioning hardware earlier and earlier because the the efficiencies of hardware were improving and they could get much more compute power for the same amount of power consumption. And so, you know, in some cases, their, their sort of um, hardware refresh cycles were actually getting closer and closer together, at least for a period of time in the sort of early to mid 2000s. Um, but you, you mentioned something uh, that reminded me, of course, it's November. So it's time for the top 500 to, uh, to update. For those that aren't familiar, it updates every June and November. So of course, the question I have to ask is, do, do I expect to see Snellius pop up on the top 500? Yes, and it will be uh, coming Monday, then uh, the new list will be uh, published and uh, yeah. you will see it uh, entering uh, twice even. So we will have one entry for the CPU partition and one entry yeah. for the GPU partition. Fantastic. Uh, do you know or are you able to share whereabouts it lands? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> oh, exciting. Well, in that case, by the time this episode goes live, we'll make sure to update the uh, the blog post and show notes with the uh, with its position. But uh, good luck. I look forward to uh, refreshing the, the website on Monday and, and seeing where you where you are. Yeah, uh, it, it, it won't be uh, impressively high because we know, of <laughs> course, the, the numbers uh, that we reach with uh, the benchmarks that we entered and we can compare when we look uh, in uh, the last June uh, list. Mm. So it will probably not uh, above the 300 even. Yeah, but even so, like that's, uh, we're talking about the, the, the most high performing environments in the world like that's still to be on the list at all i think is is pretty damn impressive so 
it's uh, that's very very cool i look forward to, look forward to seeing that and i'll uh, i'll certainly uh, celebrate when i see it all right well i think we're uh, we're probably running a little long so i think we'll at this point we'll we'll wrap up but uh, you know anything anything else that you'd like to add walter no not from my side i think you pretty well covered uh, most of the things i normally enjoy talking about so. <laughs> awesome and uh, valeria how about you anything else that uh, that we missed mm, no i don't think so i think it was uh, good and uh, pretty complete fantastic well walter valerio it's been fantastic uh meeting you uh, talking about uh, the world of HPC and supercomputers and hopefully given our audience a bit of an insight uh, into your world and uh, you know what it looks like and what you're what you're both doing so really appreciate your time really appreciate uh, everything you've been able to share with us and yeah I, I look forward to uh, seeing your your top 500 uh, uh, place be announced so uh, yeah, well done and congratulations in ahead of time. <laughs> okay, thank you for having us here. Thank you very much, guys. Take care. And we're back. And that is the end of the session with the fine folks, Walter and Valerio from, Sar from Surf. We uh, really enjoyed talking with them. Uh, a great conversation, really interesting to find out a bit more about the modern day supercomputer HPC space. The uh, the things that are going on, on there are obviously very, very cool. And since we actually recorded the episode, the results have been published in November and the November top 500 list is actually out. And so you can uh, navigate to uh, the website and you can go and find the their positioning on the on the top 500 list yeah and for people not on youtube you're missing it again i'm sharing a little screenshot of the blog post that uh, surf actually released and has all the numbers and at the bottom there's a link to the top 500 site so if you want to look up all the rest of the list it's there as well yep and it's literally top500.org if you're interested to go and kind of nerd out around the uh the different uh the different clusters that are listed there but very cool yep excellent result and uh, congrats to the uh, the folks at Surf for Snellius uh, even landing in some pretty interesting positions. Yeah, yeah, especially on the power efficiency, they were way up there, position six, mm -hmm. which is very impressive. I mean, uh, it's it's the Netherlands, we're not a huge country. We're not going to compete with uh, entities like the US and stuff like that. I mean, you shouldn't expect that. But being able to be a small country and still being so high on the green top 500, which mm. is basically gigawatts per, giga per kilowatt power. Mm. That uh, okay, gigaflops per gigawatt power. That's the one. Yeah, uh, that's actually quite impressive. So I'm uh, sure they're very happy with those positions. Definitely. All right. And anything else from you, Jan? Uh, no. Big thank you to Walter and uh, Valerio again. Thanks for spending time with us. And hopefully we'll see them again in the future when they do other interesting stuff. Indeed. Well, with that. That is all the time we have for today. Aww. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. We're on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell and all the YouTube things. 
please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Kid Crusader Dave. And my name is I uh, Like My HBC Green. Yep. And we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Bye-bye. See you then. Yeah, green is my favorite color, so. Yeah, I'm more of a, like, red and blue person myself. All together we are RGB. Ha, look at that. We compliment again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>